Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, I'm so thankful that we've had so many incredible guests and iconic brands on Brave Commerce so far. We've learned a lot about different industries and the relationship to e-commerce, whether that's shelf-stable, CPG, over-the-counter pharma, spirits, beauty, retail. But one area that we haven't covered that much is marketing a brand that's not shelf-stable. That's a good point, Rachel. I mean, the idea of relying on e-commerce for any of your revenue for perishable goods was just nuts a few years ago. And then, of course, as with everything else, the pandemic changed everything. Now we're not even thinking about ordering milk and ice cream online. I got my Amazon fresh delivery earlier today, and it actually had both milk and ice cream. E-commerce is so much more than cardboard, whether it's the acceleration of pure plays like that, the omni retailers accelerating their last mile, or marketplaces like Instacart or GoPuff. This is not just mainstream, but fully accessible. If anyone feels this, it would be a brand that only sells perishable. Jason Levine, CMO of Sabra, which is my favorite hummus, is navigating the world of selling hummus and other dips, which is a big departure from the shelf-stable world of Mondelez, Kraft, Campbell's. And he's also the U.S. CMO, which is a really interesting market for them. Let's hear what he has to say. First of all, thank you so much for joining, Jason. We are so thrilled to have you. You're one of these people that both Rachel and I know and love, and we love having people that we both know from the past, which is great. Welcome aboard. Thanks. I am so excited to be here. 
I've been following the podcast. I've been listening to the episodes and super grateful to be on here with you. I would ask you which one your favorite one was, but then you'd piss somebody off. So we're not going to do that. I'm not going to respond to that one. Yeah. That's like saying like, which of your children do you love the most? <laughs> Except I would answer that. <laughs> Actually, I've answered that before. It, it uh, typically doesn't get well received. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with one of the more obvious questions just for anybody who has known you or has followed your career. You've moved from one of the biggest food manufacturers in the world as a chief marketing officer at Mondelez to a very small yet quite nimble one. I think I probably was eating hummus before I was eating Oreos based on the date that Oreo became kosher. So in fact, you're actually going back to my roots, which is kind of cool. But like, what's the same? What's different? I mean, people are, I think, would love to hear the difference between like the pros and cons of you know, big versus smaller. You know, it's it's interesting for me because basically my entire career has been in food and beverages. And I love being in food and beverage companies and and working on those brands. And almost all that time was really with, uh, you know, big food and uh, beverage companies. I'm super grateful and feel incredibly fortunate to have worked on some really beloved brands around the world, worked with amazing people. And it's really interesting going from that world into a smaller organization. And I think that for me, there's actually so much that is similar. It could be really deceiving because the things that are different are really important. And so if you just pay attention too much to like what's similar and try to transfer the learning and transfer the behaviors, you know, you're going to miss some really important things. In terms of what's similar, when it comes to food and, and beverage marketing, and in fact, just uh, marketing in general, you know, there's some fundamental truths that will always exist. You know, who's better at understanding the consumer? Who's better at meeting their needs and delighting them? Who balances, you know, driving short-term growth with building long-term brands? Making sure that you're almost as much customer-centric as you are consumer-centric, because where your products are shelved, and that's both physical and virtual really matters. And so there's so much that is the same. But when it comes to difference, I'd almost maybe frame it up as three really important things, scale, speed, and singularity. And I'll I'll talk about the last one because I actually think it's, for me, that was a really big, important learning. But when you're with, with a larger organization, scale is a great advantage purchasing power in the marketplace, the a breadth of your distribution, the amount of consumers that you can reach, like those scale advantages are fantastic. In smaller companies, you can move faster and you can be more agile. And I remember when I first joined Sabra, we were looking at our plans for the year and uh, we realized we really wanted to kind of rebuild what we were doing for the remainder of the year. We were heading into a really important moment as we were getting into the summer and a, and a big social gathering in, in 4th of July. And we pivoted and built from scratch a fully integrated program. We kicked it off in early May and we were in market with it in the middle of June. And it just, I don't think we could have done that. I could have done that in um necessarily in a much larger organization. So that speed and nimbleness is, is nice. Bigger companies are learning how to get faster and more agile. And there's some great examples of that. And I think smaller companies are trying to figure out how to use the scale that they do have 
um, whether that's a particular channel or in a particular category. The last one's interesting in this idea of kind of singularity. And, you know, one of the things I always admired about some companies is they had a um, passion bordering on an obsession for one thing. That one thing could be price. That one thing could be technology. The one thing could be health. And everyone in the company is thinking about that one thing every day, multiple times a day, from the person greeting you at the door to the CEO. I think what's interesting in in being in a smaller company is when we're working on something, we're all in. Trust me, we are all in on hummus. <laughs> we all love it. I brought my hummus. I love it. Classic's your favorite? Sabra Classic, 17 ounce. Classic is my favorite. It's super pure. I can put many different things in it. Before the show, I, I showed Jason and Sarah my hummus. And of course, Sarah made a comment that I overpaid for my New York City hummus. You absolutely did. You got to come out to the burbs. I don't I don't pay that for my 17 ounce. I don't even pay that for like a big pack of singles. And so you're a big hummus fan, obviously. Huge. It's my most favorite food. But I didn't want to cut you off with singularity because I actually actually love this. You know, in, in my world in technology, we kind of call it the North Star. It's all right. Like, what is everyone running after? And so just keep going, please. Yeah, that, that's right. But, but by the way, is it, um, are you vegan, vegetarian? Is that driving your hummus purchase? No, I'm just Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, this is a very inclusive podcast, but there, there is a lot of Jews today on the show. Today on the show, yes. <laughs> so I, I think what's kind of cool is there's still disagreements. There's still debates and there's still different ways we want to approach things, but Everyone's all in on belief in the category. Everyone's all in when, when we do decide that e-commerce is going to be something we're focusing on. We like all pivot together, like we all em- or go all in on it together. You know, and when you're in larger organizations, there are competing agendas, and people are trying to do different things. Whether it's different categories, different brands, different countries, and so that's, there's something about singularity of purpose. That's pretty powerful and really interesting to be a part of. I love that. You know, as Micmac scales, I'm just learning that so much of my job is alignment to get everyone focusing on that single vision. Now, today, for many brands within your category, I think there probably was a rude awakening that e-commerce is real, right? Consumer demand accelerated for e-com 10 years overnight, especially within food and bev. Now, you're in a category that's always been quite challenging for e-commerce, which is perishables. So how have you had Sabra reorganize itself to ensure that one, you're reaching the customer in places where they're spending time, which today is now e-com, but two, that your product is being delivered to ensure that it's, you know, still the premium hummus taste that you can win in that category. Yeah. It goes back to that statement of all in. Like when we decided e-commerce was going to be a strategic imperative, it wasn't like a function was going to be responsible for driving that imperative. It's, hey, look, we're, we're all in. Everyone from sales to marketing to supply chain. And in Saba, we have a, a kitchen. We have uh, chefs that are a major part of our company um, in terms of bringing great recipes and, and food choices. And even they get involved in e-commerce and how we're bringing food solutions. And so I think that's a, that's a big part. We, we obviously had to do a lot of the basics. We just had to get organized with data. We had to up our game on our content. We had to start getting better at uh, search optimization. So obviously, there's a lot of fundamentals. But what's interesting is that 
we knew it's something that was going to accelerate our strategy versus just accelerating growth or a top line. Because one of the big areas of opportunity for us in the category, uh, I guess there's two, but I, I'll, I'll reference the, the latter is only about a third of, of U.S. households buy hummus on an annual basis, which is kind of amazing because I've worked on brands that had you know half of U.S. households buying it pretty regularly. Two thirds of the country then are missing out on the best food in America. Two thirds. That's it. So that's a that's a big opportunity, and it's a, why I really believe so much in this category. But the other is that we we introduced hummus to the United States as a dip, but in other parts of the world where hummus is really more native, it's it's food, right? It's it's used in a lot of other things. It's used almost as an ingredient in sandwiches and salads and spreads. And so we're trying to drive new usage of hummus beyond just the dip, and we see e-commerce as a great way to do that. Part of it is as we started to refresh the data, refresh the content that we're putting out across the ecosystem to not just put you know, pictures of our product, but actually have images and, and videos of new ways to use hummus so that we can kind of drive that behavior. We also got involved pretty early in not just commerce, but also direct to consumer by trying to tap into meal kits like HelloFresh. Those are some of the things that we've been looking into. But, but fundamentally, it's how do we use e-commerce to really create a seamless path for consumers from seeing something, seeing a recipe that they find really interesting and they want to try to getting it in their basket and making it for their family at home. The more seamless we can make that and the shorter we can make that, that conversion of, of seeing it and then trying it at home, the better. And so that's what we're all trying to figure out, whether it's the sales and marketing and supply chain, and even our kitchen that's coming up with recipes. We're all trying to work together to figure out how to unlock this opportunity. Jason, you just said something that reminded me of a case study, and it's you know not a competitive product to you, but it's V8. And obviously, Sarah is familiar with this at Campbell's. They suffered with a similar challenge, which is that it's in a brick and mortar environment. It's put in the refrigeration as a drink but they want to position it as a snack. And they used e-commerce to kind of create that new digital shelf and merchandising opportunity to cross categories. So I don't think a lot of people see the opportunity the way that you just articulated it, which is that you actually can live in multiple categories in a digital shelf environment. Yeah, like you don't have to bother with like fighting the retail battle of planogramming. Mm Mm-hmm. When you're when you're in e-commerce, because even though you're situated either next to the yogurt or the pickles or wherever else you're being put right now, if you put that somewhere else, it's a different story. I will say my V8 story is people do not realize that it's actually a great mixer for Bloody Mary. <laughs> and so it, it should really be on the alcohol mixer shelf. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's one of those things where you've got, to, you know, it's kind of to, to Jason's point. The, the multi-purpose nature of a product makes it very hard when you're trying to fit yourself squarely into a, a category. And even more so to your point, Jason, about a category, we only have a third penetration mm-hmm. and low frequency. So how do you make like, how do you make hummus like the next avocado? Like, how do you make, I mean, I've seen tons of hummus toasts on Pinterest. Yeah. And so I'm not minimizing the efficacy on Pinterest, or at least that's just what I guess my my people on Pinterest do. So I don't know if that's like a real thing, (laughs) but like, how do, how do you make hummus as ubiquitous as besides recipes as, as other 
trendy foods that have recently picked up, you know, at minimum national steam. So uh, let me start off with, uh, because you mentioned avocados, I'll do, just do a quick shameless plug. We also sell guacamole, a very good guacamole. But let me get back to answering. And it does retain its color after you open it, which I really like. We work hard at that. I feel like Rachel and I are your brand ambassadors. Have you noticed that? I, I'm I'm telling you where you can get a better price. I'm telling you why I like the guacamole. This is true. If my friends were more representative of the rest of the United States, I'd have a multi-billion dollar brand at this point. <laughs> Actually, I think that's what this gets to, which is we do have to grow household penetration. And we do need more people where hummus is more relevant to them. And uh, in the United States, it it means we have to be more inclusive to the rich diversity that we have in this country. We have to be more inclusive to occasions that matter, to product innovation and flavors that matter, to recipes and where those recipes come from. Look, we're a beautifully diverse country. Different parts of the country love different things. So whether that is spiciness, sweetness, ethnic flavors. I think the category has tended to play into its strength, which is this Mediterranean and Middle Eastern kind of a feel. So coming up with flavors like um, olive or Greek inspired or flavors that kind of feel like they are more normalized for hummus, we need to kind of break out of that and, and get this category to appeal to more diverse group of people in the country. And that's harder today because in this new digital uh, ecosystem, I think we have to tailor recipes and tailor flavors to different segments of the population. It's not going to be a, a one size fits all. That's a really interesting point because when I was growing up, I always thought Sabra was an Israeli company just because of the name. And then I, I learned years later that Sabra is an American company and all of your employees are in the U.S. Your chickpeas are made in the U.S. I just think that's a very important awareness thing in general, just because if we want to be diverse and we want to be thinking about a world where we're considering the, the role of inclusivity, something that's fully made in America, it certainly doesn't feel like the most like patriotic of foods, but it actually is. It's weird. It is. And because it's a food that is most often shared, because if you think about a lot of people buy hummus and, and any kind of a dip, it's the thing you bring out and you're sharing with others. And what's interesting is also the kind of thing that you're sharing together. Um, and there is something really powerful about food that it does bridge divides. It does bridge gaps. Um, people do come together over food. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who's Indian and she's like hardcore into her Indian cooking. And she says hummus has been the best compliment to her spicier curries and she did cite sabra for what it's worth but like I, I had never thought of even the mixing of the cultures and so i think just being able to use e-commerce social things like that to really diversify and open up a mindset is again just something you can't do in store once they're in store you're either on the list or you're not on the list you know we uh have kind of like a, a chef collaborative where we bring in a diverse group of chefs to our kitchen and we talk about their food and and how hummus can come through their culture and what we can do with it we've looked at hummus through the lens of you know southwestern kind of mexican cuisine uh, we've looked at, um, through an Asian cultural lens, we had a recipe for hummus with uh, dandan dan noodles. 
We've even looked at it through the lens of like Southern cuisine and, and soul food mm. and how to use chickpeas in, in place of other kinds of beans and peas in getting to those flavors. Do you have any insight or like e-commerce conversion rates around what happens when you're positioning hummus as a dip versus a recipe versus in a meal kit? Like where have you seen the pockets of, of opportunity? You know, what's really interesting is that we know this is a huge opportunity for us. And we were getting really focused on different recipes that we can bring to consumers. We were looking at toasts, spreads on sandwiches. We were looking at salads, flatbread, pizza ideas. One of the really things that, that, that was important that we uncovered in terms of, you know, how do we actually get people to connect with it is... And it's a very classic, basic marketing practice is you got to start with the occasion. What's important in the moment for the person you're trying to reach, and then you can provide the right food solution. And so as an example, we were just running a, a campaign called Snack to School. And what we realized is as schools reopened, a lot of people were going to continue to be doing it remotely. And, you know, it's, it puts a huge strain on parents to not just work, but to also be there for their kids in school and also make sure that they're eating, you know, three meals a day, including lunch and snacks. And the other thing that we started to understand was early on the stress of what was happening. Um, they didn't really care what their kids ate. It was like, just eat it. I, I just got to get through the day. But in round two of this thing, as the fall was starting back up, people did want their kids to eat healthier. Mm. And so we said, look, this is an occasion that we believe is really meaningful. Let's start with the occasion and then let's give people some really simple, easy things they can do with hummus. That's a great, healthy, delicious snack for their kid. Everything from uh, like a, we have a product that's a uh, chocolate dessert dip and spread that we are using to do like healthy s'mores or like a parfait cup, little tiny uh, pizza bites, a fresh, quick and easy pasta salad, all things that we knew kids would like. And that would be something you can do in, in five minutes, 10 minutes. And so when we start with the occasion, that's where we're starting to get really good traction hmm. on trying to drive uh, the, basically changing behavior in the marketplace. No, I love that. And I assume you're buying media then through that lens, like occasion-based media to create demand. It seems like you're all over trends. Where does plant-based come in? As much of a transformation as happening within commerce, we're already in and we're going to continue to see as big of a transformation happening in the food industry. And there's a couple of big things where plant-based is, is coming up. Number one, and it's even more important today, is this notion of self-care moving from healthcare to self-care and self-care, both physical and, and mental self-care. And I think we're all learning and adapting and getting better at it. And food and what you eat is a big part of that. Complementing that with um, sustainability and the importance of uh, sustainability of our ecosystem, those two things are coming together to drive a lot of this plant-based movement. And it's not just replacing meat with plant-based alternatives. I think this is around people wanting fresher, healthier, more sustainable food to take care of themselves and their family and the planet. And so I think that's where plant-based comes in and we continue to see the growth of it. I saw a statistic just the other day that I kind of want to make sure I don't get this wrong because I thought it was really interesting. One third of U.S. households have at least one member 
uh, of the family or the household voluntarily following vegan, vegetarian, or flexitarian diet. 10% of households, 5% of households with kids are following a plant-based diet at 100%. So basically vegetarian or vegan. So this is not a, just a, a moment in time trend. You know, I think this is going to reshape our relationship with food as a country and the food industry in its entirety. Wow. Well, I think that's great. And that probably does create some sort of correlation between big food versus what what you're doing right now. I think big food in general has has really done a lot to adapt to a lot of these trends. But, uh, you know, being able to adapt at the speed that you're talking about is, you know, that that's just a lot harder to do for bigger companies, which gives you that unfair advantage. You know, everybody always thought scale was the answer for food and Bev, but I think speed and velocity is a big one. Yeah. Agility for sure. Yeah. So you have three kids, right? I do. Yes. And some pets. What are they eating for lunch now? You know, we, our family's diet definitely has changed since started working at Sabra. So hummus, at least three or four tubs of hummus are present in the fridge at all times. It's a major staple for the family for all three meals, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I'd say we, we tend to, to eat a lot less meat, tend to be more plant-based. Um, it started, it really started with the younger kids, particularly the older ones uh, have one in high school, one recently graduated high school that's taking a gap year. And I think they were really pushing us you know, to adapt more of a flexitarian lifestyle. I, I feel like I've done the opposite. Like Jason, you're living this model life and like my my family has gone from eating really well, which we still do at dinner. We eat healthy at dinner, but lunch has been a, just a complete and utter free-for-all where it's just like whatever, either, it, it's legitimately either mac and cheese or chicken nuggets. And I was never that mom. And now I'm that mom. Now, granted, like my kids can cook for themselves because they're, you know, older, but Oh my God, I've just got let like things go to hell in a handbasket. And you're like, we've adopted a flexitarian lifestyle. Like, good for you, Jason. <laughs> I don't know what kind of magic spell you got, but good for you. There, there's a lot of other things going on in a house too that people are eating, just like some of the shifts that that are happening. You know, but your one of your points, which is really interesting, is convenience is still just as important, maybe if not more important than it was before. I think there's a little bit of a misnomer that, you know, convenience is like a channel and it's all about on the go and portability. I don't think that's the case. I think we, we're seeing it in the data, like convenience uh, is about time management. Yeah. Food prep, time management. How quickly can you go from whatever it is that you're like, even if it's something that you just need to put in the oven, you still need to budget that time for it. So it's like this, that start to finish. It's kind of crazy. In addition to those tubs, we also have like single serve portions of our guacamole and, and hummus products. I've been finding that very helpful for my social distance gatherings. Everybody gets their own little tub and their uh, bag of chips and bag of, and bag of crudite. And they're really convenient. And, and what we thought, we, we used to talk about them as our portability portfolio, you know, that's predominantly people would be buying them to send their kids to school or to take with themselves to work. Um, but the reality is, you know, people are using them more and more because it's, it's just a great convenience item. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, it also has a very good hygienic component. To yeah, it. that's, that's a good point. Okay. Second to last question. And then Rachel gets to ask the really good one. What's the last thing you bought online? The last thing I bought online were guitar strings. Unexpected. 
All right. I like that. That, that. That's a good answer. Do you play the guitar? Is this for you? For me, yes. Good for you. I can't find a music store that's been kind of open. And um, and so like I was forced to go online and order from uh, Guitar Center. Gun to your head, forced to go online. <laughs> well, that's dope. So now I'm excited for this question. Jason, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? It could be personal or professional. So... I guess when I think about bravery, it's kind of strength in the face of kind of fear or uh, or danger. There are things that I've definitely done in my professional life where uh, they may feel, they may come across as being brave, but I wasn't really fearful. Like I, I truly believed in my heart of hearts. It was the right thing to do. So I wouldn't necessarily call it bravery. So I'm going to kind of go to maybe some a cross between my personal and professional life. And um, Sarah may already have visibility to some of this, but, you know, as someone that's been a musician on stage um, and as a business person, having been on stage countless times and in many cases with really large audiences, I've just never shaken having like a really deep fear, uh, a, a seated stage fright, paralyzing stage fright. And it, it's it, it's i am shocked i have been on the stage with you i am shocked to hear this yeah you would never know paralyzing paralyzing and and people tell me when i go off stage wow there was a great presentation you, you look so natural up there and i always think oh my if they only knew and there was a, a moment where we were launching uh oreo in italy and the the head of the business in italy it was a uh, national sales meeting. So, I mean, this is hundreds of people all coming together. Asked me if I would just say a couple of words, but it's say it in, in Italian. As someone with deep-seated stage fright, you would have thought I would have just, you know, said a, a sentence or a couple of words. But I really wanted to make an impact. And so I, I wrote a speech. It was two pages long. I had someone translate it into Italian. And then I spent three weeks learning how to pronounce the whole thing in Italian so people could understand me as I read it. I got up there and uh, gave a 15, 20-minute presentation um, about uh, how excited I was to be launching Oreo in Italy in Italian. I think that's by far the bravest thing I've ever done. I, I still look back and think, why, did I, why didn't I just take the easy route? Why didn't I just say hello and thank you and drop the mic and out? It's because you care. Yeah, I think you, you have to push push past your fear because what's on the other side is so rewarding. Later that night, people were coming up to me and introducing me to their families and giving me a hug and a kiss. And uh, just, I was received so warmly by that organization. It was so worth the effort to push through the fear, be brave and go for it. It's that's, that's incredible, largely because I've known you for so long and I never would have thought that that would be a fear of yours. I've always seen you to be a very brave marketer and just a brave person in general. So to, to know that stage fright was one of those things that, that you had to conquer, I think is just great and really inspiring because for anyone who's ever seen you speak or present to groups large and small, and I've had the pleasure of being on the receiving and co-presenting side with you, that's, you really would never know. So bravo to you for being so brave. And and thank you, Jason, for joining us. I hope you didn't have any 
stage fright in joining on, on this convert, this little intimate conversation that will be listened to by <laughs> beats the hell out of me. How many, but hopefully a lot. Thanks. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us, to inspire us. And we look forward to hearing a lot more, especially about the new flavors and recipes. Oh, we have some great stuff in store for you all. Excellent. Thanks for having me. It was, I was really honored to be here and had a lot of fun. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Jason. I'm going to go eat my hummus. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking touch of truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there